Welcome to a virtual retreat with Cardinal Sean. Christ, our light in the darkness. Today's episode, The Eucharist. The great amnesty is the sacrifice of Christ, who paid our debts, who stepped in front of the bullet to save us. By his stripes are we healed. We were under a sentence of death, but the amnesty of Calvary has spared us all. In every Eucharist, we relive the great events of this amnesty. They're mediated to us through the priesthood of Jesus Christ, instituted as a sacrament together with the Eucharist on Holy Thursday. It's the Last Supper where Jesus pronounces his farewell address. But even while he's saying goodbye to us, Jesus is assuring us that he will continue to be with us to the end of time through the Eucharist and through his priesthood. Jesus Christ has kept that promise for 2,000 years. As believers, we strive to contemplate with ever new eyes the mystery of the incarnation of God. In Jesus of Nazareth, God has become a human being in order to reveal the Trinitarian mystery of the divine love and to save humanity. The mystery extends through history, and human beings in every age have asked themselves, how is it possible for God to love so intensely that he would give over the divinity in the supreme act of death on the cross. This event does not regard only the fact of the past, but through the mediation of the Eucharist, it's activated every day to the end of time. Indeed, it attests that Jesus is with us forever, and he loves us, offering us the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation and communion of life with God. The Eucharist is the source of the life of the Church. The Russian Nobel Prize winner, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, said once that he recalled three episodes from his boyhood that stand out in his mind. One was being taunted by other children as he accompanied his mother to the only church that remained open in his village. Another time, when people rushed up to him and tore the crucifix from his neck. The third instance that was engraved in his memory was a conversation that he overheard of the old people in his village saying, people have forgotten God. And that's why all of this has happened. All of the oppression, the hopelessness, the gulag, the torture, the despair, it has all come about because people have forgotten God. Forgetting God is very dangerous. We are Catholics because 2,000 years ago, God said to us, do this in memory of me. Never forget my love. I am with you always. If you will only recognize me in the breaking of the bread. The world is being run by people with spiritual amnesia. They have forgotten about God. And when we forget about God, we forget who we are, 
who people are, we forget what is truly important. Do this in memory of me. There are fewer people in church today than when I was a child. I fear it's because many people go to church looking for entertainment. We are like sick people who don't know that we should go to a doctor. Why go to the doctor? It's probably boring. It could be inconvenient, uncomfortable, or demand some change in my behavior. The hell that Solzhenitsyn experienced in the horrors of the concentration camps of Siberia and the crisis in modern society is because people have forgotten God. I pray that God will always give us the grace to deepen our love for the Eucharist, the center of our lives as Catholics, and to understand that the Eucharist is Jesus' promise to us. And the fulfillment of that promise is the miracle, Jesus Christ present on our altars. In today's church, religious illiteracy and secularization of the culture have undermined that faith. We have parents who send their children to CCD, like soccer practice, yet not to Mass. We must make the Eucharist the center of our lives. We want to say that God has not forgotten about us. He still loves us. Even if a mother might be capable of forgetting her children, I shall never forget you. Your face is carved on the palms of my hands. We're here to say to the world that God has not forgotten us. His cry is like the stirring lyrics of that song that says, the only thing I ask of you is to remember me as loving you. Do this in memory of me. Do what? Take bread and wine and say, this is my body. His love is present to feed us. Happy are we if, like those first Christians, we too can say that we recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And we do this in memory of him and of his love. If Mass is a chore, a burden, a boring exercise, the problem is perhaps we have forgotten how to pray. We have first to close our chamber door and pray to our Father in secret. We need to kneel next to our child's crib and teach them to call God our Father. Each day we must punctuate our days with time and space for God in prayer. And then we will be able to enter into the mystery, to be absorbed in the Eucharist. Then it will all make sense. We can admire the ingenuity of so many human inventions. When I visit the classrooms in our schools today and see the little children in front of a computer keyboard and remember what it was like when I was their age, learning the Palmer method and carefully dipping our pens into the ink pot. I'm amazed, so many marvels of technology and science. Well, the Eucharist is God's greatest invention. It manifests the ingenuity of wisdom that at the same time is the foolishness of love. The entire revelation of the work of salvation is astonishing. 
And the Eucharist continues a pinnacle of that mystery where the simplest possible way, the fulfillment of the divine design has far surpassed any possible expectation. Where we can see only bread and wine, we stand before the assertion of the presence of our God. How can we fail not to be astonished by the fact that the one who is God offers himself as food and drink to every creature? The one who is Lord places himself entirely at our disposition, at our service. Why does he will this offering to be repeated through all times in the Eucharist? Why must God invent a new presence in the Christian assembly? To all our astonishments and questions, there is but one response. Everything in the Eucharist derives from love carried to the extreme. All emerges from the limitless love of God and his will to give. God's love is so inventive that he's devised a way to be close to us, to allow us to be united with him and with our brothers and sisters who share the same loaf and the same cup. For 2,000 years, we've experienced how the church has grown and developed, sprung up around the breaking of the bread, around the Eucharist. My message to thousands of children whom I have the joy to confirm is always look at the Eucharist. God is making himself a gift to you. And the only way that our life will find meaning and fulfillment is if we make a, a gift of ourselves to God and to others. That is our mission. We are a Eucharistic people. We find our true identity when we're gathered around the altar. On the altar, our God becomes a gift, a life-giving gift. When we make a gift of ourselves to God and others, we may think we're sacrificing our lives. Actually, we're saving our lives by love. And when all is said and done, it's that faithful, generous, sacrificial love that matters. One of the ways that we show our gratitude to God is by sharing the gifts that we have received. With, as St. Paul says, God has made you rich so that you might be generous. Jesus shows us at the first Eucharist that the Mass is to be a font of charity. He begins the celebration by washing the feet of his disciples and giving them the command of mutual love. I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. This is the commandment given to the disciples, those who are the household of the faith, that we need to have a special love for each other. And the measuring stick for that love is Jesus' love for us. How does Jesus love us? He loves us first. He loves us while we're still in sin. He doesn't wait for us to love him and then reciprocate. To be a Eucharistic community, we have to learn to love first, to give first, to forgive first. As Jesus washes the feet of the disciples to teach them to stop fighting over the first places at table and start fighting over the towel. In another place in the gospel, Jesus warns us not to bring our sacrifice to the altar 
if we're not reconciled to our brothers and sisters. In Rome, in the early church, the priests were obliged on Sunday to celebrate Mass with their congregations in their own churches and therefore could no longer partake in the Pope's solemn Mass. And so a sign was developed to indicate the unity of the Christian community. The porter at the Papal Mass was given a fragment of the consecrated bread after the fraction, after the breaking of the bread, the host, the body and blood of Jesus. And the priest then in the different parish churches received that and placed it into the, his chalice as a beautiful sign of unity. One of my favorite quotes from Paul VI, writing about the Eucharist says, the Eucharist has been instituted to make us brothers and sisters so that instead of being strangers divided and indifferent to one another, we might be united, be equals, be friends. The Eucharist has been given to us so that instead of a selfish, apathetic crowd made up of hostile individuals, we might become a people, a true people, with one heart and one soul. As a sacrificial meal, the Eucharist communicates the love that has inspired the sacrifice, a love that spared nothing in order to secure the happiness of others. In the Eucharist, Jesus willed to give his disciples the strength to love one another as he loves us. He gave his disciples the gift of his body and blood and the power of love that knows no limits. I once had a great friend, an outstanding priest from Washington, Father Morty Fox. He was a talented, zealous priest with a magic personality that just mesmerized everyone, even the worst enemies of religion. When Father Fox entered a room, all the lights went on and the bells rang. He was a joy to be with. One day, a very remarkable thing happened to me. I was at my desk when I got a call saying that Father Fox had just died suddenly of a heart attack. Shortly afterwards, I went to the post office to pick up my mail. To my great surprise, there was a letter from Father Fox waiting for me. I was stunned. My friend never wrote except at Christmas time, and now he was sending me a letter from the grave. I trembled as I opened that letter, and as I read his words, I, I could see his smile, I could hear his laughter. Suddenly he was alive and present again. Later on that day in chapel, reflecting on this strange incident, it, it occurred to me that the Eucharist is like that letter a sign of love and friendship, a desire to communicate, to be present. But in Jesus' case, it's planned. It's intentional. And the letter that he sends is himself. The Word made flesh, made Eucharist. For God, nothing is improvised. When we read the Scriptures, from the first pages of the Bible, we read about Melchizedek offering bread and wine, the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb, the manna in the desert. All of this speaks to us of God's plan. The Old Testament story of Naaman the leper has always fascinated me. In it we find a parable about modern man's search for the transcendent. 
In the story, Naaman, the Syrian general, is suffering from leprosy. And he comes to the prophet seeking a cure. Elisha stays in his house and sends his servant out to tell the general to go and wash seven times in the Jordan. The general left in a rage. He'd expected a better show. He thought that the prophet would come out and make an incantation, do a dance, go into a trance, impose his hands. And as he was storming off, one of his servants said, But sir, if the prophet had asked you to do something very difficult, you would have gladly done it. Then he consented to follow the simple instructions of the prophet and he was cured. Book four of the Imitation of Christ, we read, many run to various places to visit relics of departed saints and are full of wonder at their deeds. They look with awe on the spacious churches, the great architecture. They kiss the relics encased in silk and gold. But if this holy sacrament of the Eucharist were celebrated in one place only, and consecrated by one priest in the world, with what desire do you think people would be drawn to that place, into such a priest of God, so that they might at least once witness the celebration of the divine mysteries? The Mass is celebrated everywhere and throughout history. But like the Syrian general who was disappointed by the prophet's instructions, We seek the grandiose, the spectacular, the gong show. And our God comes in humility, in simplicity. When people celebrate the Lord's Supper and receive the Eucharist, it's too easy just to think no farther than the flesh and blood and forget that the Word became flesh. They forget that they are receiving a Word addressed to them from God. It's the most powerful word possible, a word so all-embracing, so full of meaning, that it transcends all comprehension. It's a word that resembles expressions of genuine human self-giving, but it's also a word that goes beyond human self-giving and makes the impossible possible. This word says, I love you, and proves it. Our human love is bound to come up against boundaries that will always separate us in this world in spite of all means of communication. Each person is an island. Each soul has its own consciousness and cannot fuse with another. Bodies can only touch externally. This is how we are. We're finite. We're not God's. Only God's word who became flesh and dwelt among us, only the infinite and limitless word can transcend all of these boundaries. Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. It means take into yourself what seems only to exist side by side with you. And just as I can transcend the boundaries, Jesus is telling us, so let your boundaries disintegrate by taking me into yourselves. In me, God's word made flesh, you are destined to be freed 
from your narrow confines to lead a new life together with others and shared with them a life of communion, a life as befits members of my body, nourished by the circulating blood of my all-embracing life. This is God's gift to us in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the source of life for each and every one of us. Christ is the bread of life, the manna that has come down from heaven. Indeed, the bread of life contains the promise of immortality. When we eat his body with reverence and faith, we will survive more than a crash or cancer or a heart attack. We will survive death itself. Christ wants us to hunger after the bread of life. In the Gospels, the disciples implored Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. To which Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. The Lord challenges us to believe in the Eucharist. What could be clearer? I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I give is my flesh for the life of the world. We know that when Jesus first said those words in the synagogue at Capernaum, that many of the disciples were shocked, turned off by these assertions. But Jesus didn't retract anything. When they walked off, he didn't say, come back, I'm only talking in a figure of speech. These are only metaphors. No, he lets them leave. And then he turns to his disciples, his apostles, and says, are you going to leave me too? And it's Peter, the rock of faith, replies in the name of all of those who remain faithful to Jesus, those who accept his words and his promises. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The Eucharist is the source of life. As we have seen, the Eucharist calls us to community, to service, to washing our brothers and sisters' feet, but it constantly beckons us to life and fidelity. The Eucharist is a constant call to live the life of grace. When we have sinned and strayed from God's path, it's often the hunger for the Eucharist that beguiles us back to God. The hunger for the bread of life has brought many a sinner back from darkness. That place where the prodigal son longed for the husks that were being fed to the pigs. Many a sinner who seemed content to dwell in a foreign place far from the father's house has become aware of his need for conversion because of that hunger for the bread of life, the manna come down from heaven. How many people have found motivation and strength to return to the father's house because of Holy Communion? Many years ago, I visited a beautiful chapel in Tegucigalpa with a marvelous inscription behind the altar under the Blessed Sacrament. It said, Magister ad est et vocate. The Master is present and he is calling you. They're the words from St. John's Gospel of Martha to her sister Mary. The Master is present and he is calling you. In the Eucharist, we find the life-giving presence of a friend 
who is the bread of life and the source of all life. We recall the two instruments that God has chosen as the means of giving us this great gift of the Eucharist. The first is Mary, the mother of the Redeemer. She said yes to God, allowing the word to become flesh. She is the wheat and the flour from which the bread of the Eucharist is made. In that wonderful hymn, Ave Verum, we pray, Hail, true body of Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. Mary's body has given us Christ's body. Her self-giving prepares us to be a Eucharistic people. The other instrument by which the Eucharist comes to us is the ministerial priesthood. Without priests, there is no Mass. All of us need to be promoters of priestly vocations in our families, in our parishes, our schools, and our communities. I would encourage all our people to join our love and devotion to the Eucharist with a profound love for the priesthood and pray for vocations. Love the Eucharist. It is the source of our life. Love the Eucharist. It is God present on our altars. Love the priesthood that allows the miracle to continue. And as we begin this Eucharistic year, let us rejoice in the gift which is Christ himself. And like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, let us joyfully proclaim the good news. The Lord is risen from the dead, and we recognized him in the breaking of the bread. I want to thank all of you for tuning in this week for our retreat. It's been a joy to be able to share these thoughts and reflections with all of you. These are very difficult and challenging times for us, but we know that our loving God can always bring good out of evil. Know that each day I lift each of you up in prayer. God bless you.